Thanks for listening to Bullseye. We'd like to better understand who's listening and how you're using podcasts. Please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey. One word. It takes less than 10 minutes. It really helps support the show. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. One word. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Odds are, the first time you saw Christoph Waltz on screen, it was in Inglorious Bastards, Quentin Tarantino's bonkers World War II action revenge thriller. He played SS Colonel Hans Landa, a bizarre and diabolical villain. Waltz, who at the time was a relative newcomer to American film, played the role brilliantly. Charming, strange, and sometimes really big. Ooh, that's a bingo! (laughs) Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo? You just say bingo. Bingo! How fun! The role earned Waltz his first ever Academy Award nomination. Then a few months later, his first ever Academy Award. Almost overnight, he became an American movie star. So what's he been up to lately? His newest project is The Most Dangerous Game, a retelling of the classic short story by Richard Connell. It debuted last month on Quibi. It stars Liam Hemsworth as Dodge. Things aren't going well for Dodge. He's in a ton of debt. He's got cancer. But then he hears about a company called Tiro Fund. He's told they financially support people in positions similar to his. He sets up a meeting with the president of the fund, Miles Sellers. Sellers is portrayed by my guest, Christoph Waltz. And in this clip, Miles gives him the pitch. I just can't loan the kind of money we're talking about to someone who very likely might pass away before he can even think about paying me back. No, I know that makes me sound like a bastard. I promise I'm not. It's just, I lost family members to cancer. I've seen how unforgiving it can be. Yeah, it's okay, I get it. So, what, you still think you can help me somehow? I do, but I can't do it alone. I need your help, your participation. Christoph Waltz, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I feel like the dream of every actor is the one that you've now achieved. I'm not referring to the Oscars, but rather to being able to offer someone on screen uh, the opportunity to participate in the most dangerous game, Hunting Man. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I truly, now that, now that you've said, you know, like, well, you don't understand my plan, Mr. Bond, or I don't know if that was literally your line in that film, but that and offering someone a chance to participate in the most dangerous game and possibly playing like uh, maybe Hamlet or something. Uh, those are basically. I've done your... that. I've done that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're pretty well covered. Congratulations on achieving Thank all you. your life streams. <laughs> yeah, I think I can I can retire. <laughs> what was it like to get a call about being in a movie and then find out that it was a movie that was being filmed to be watched in 
you know, nine minute increments on cell phones? Uh, well, the, the cell phone bit was a little bit unusual for, for my little mind. I consider cell phones uh, a plague, but um, I don't, whether it's in nine minute increments or nine hours, I don't really do that much different. It's still the, the actor's work is the actor's work, and that's one thing. But I'm, I'm interested in circumstances um, and coordinates and um, parameters that go beyond the actor's job. So in as much as I'm really, really into dramatic narrative as a subject, I was electrified by a new species of narrative in a drama structure that actually arcs over the conventional, whatever it is, 90 minutes, but in nine-minute increments, as you put it. And each increment uh, exists in its own right, tying together into an overall dramatic arc. That is fascinating beyond belief to me. So the actor's work is the actor's work, as I said, for a director and for a producer, and mostly for a writer. This is a new challenge. And since I'm interested in all these subjects, I was immediately, immediately hooked and caught for the project. Now, I read somewhere, and I'm not going to quote directly because I didn't write it down when I read it, but I read somewhere you describing that in your work as an actor, you were specifically interested in the narrative beyond simply the parameters of the character, which is kind of what you alluded to just now. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think that's a relatively, you know, all, all actors are serving a narrative of some kind or another, or almost all actors are serving a narrative of some kind or another. But I think it's a relatively unusual position to say that, you know, servicing that narrative is first in the mind of an actor. Um, so what, what does that mean for you, like practically speaking, when you're, when you're acting? I, I think it's... Um it's a good idea for the sprocket to know the clockwork in order to function 100% efficiently. And um, the character, the role in the total serves a purpose that, and that goes beyond this specific individual effect. So I'm interested in the, in the sum total. I'm interested in what the whole thing is supposed to be rather than how to shine in it. Sure. Did you grow up thinking that you were going to become an artist of some kind? No, I grew up um, hoping to become a doctor. And then somehow, I don't know why I left that. I think I realized at least subconsciously that it would be too much work. And um, I, I, 
does seem really hard. I have a friend who was going to become a doctor when we were in college. And I remember her, she was real bright, you know, and a hard worker. But I remember her getting in undergraduate, like her junior, senior year to organic chemistry and just, <laughs> just being in tears, just like, how can anyone do this? Exactly. So, so that kind of went away. I think it, it went away when I understood what's involved. And um, I didn't want to become an actor because, you know, that, that was, I, I, to this day, I have no clue why I ended up with it. Uh, I'm still trying to find out. And I find that, um, you know, even though it sounds like a cavalier um, bon mot, I still think it's a good incentive to stick with it. To try to figure out why I've become it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that coming out of your mouth would not sound like a cavalier bon mot. Uh, <laughs> well, you have you. a distinctive <laughs> manner. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I feel like if you were at the farmer's market and said, uh, no, not the orange carrots, the purple ones, that might sound like a cavalier bon mot. <laughs> Yeah, well, but have you noticed that the purple ones, speaking of purple carrots, I find them fascinating. They have this orange core in it. Uh -huh. And when you, when you cut them, they're perfectly beautiful. They're really, I, 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 I buy them just to cut them and to look at them because they kind of taste the same. But um, uh, um, anyway, that's just to a little. There's a part of me, though, when I make that cut and see that beautiful cross section with the yeah. orange center spreading out almost like a, not exactly. a spirograph, but whatever the thing is where you spin, it's like a spinner where you spin yeah, and you yeah. pour paint onto it. Exactly. Um, uh, when I see that, I also have the feeling like I have been deceived. Like, no, I'm like, oh, no, so, I, oh, so you're not, you're not a purple uh, carrot then. Oh, or no. An orange I, I carrot in a purple dress. Oh, I feel I've been rewarded, you know, that this cut, the purchase and the cut have been made worthwhile. There was some point when you aspired to uh, opera rather than uh, the stage and screen. Is that so? Yeah, well, opera, if I may say, is also stage only with um, music, which makes it hard work again. And so <laughs> I avoided that. <laughs> I studied opera for for a short while because I, I, I wasn't sure about uh, which way to go. And then, um, again, very banal, banal circumstances made the decision for me that, that I got jobs in, in acting. Yeah, why? Because it's easier to get jobs in acting uh, than in singing opera. Because when you want to sing opera, you have to have not only the material, i.e. the voice, but you have uh, the training and the musicality and the, the, um, uh, all of that. Um, by the way, you know, it's, it's a muscular thing that needs to be trained like, like any other high achieving mus muscular activity. And it takes years to, to develop. And, and I'm not even talking about the artistic side here. So that's a commitment. And look, in, in all seriousness, these things are all commitments for life. And to do that without really having the knowledge and the concrete aspects to 
be considered and the full scope of, uh, of the actual subject to arrive at a decision that will from then on define and dictate your life, your every detail, fiber, um, aspect of your life is virtually impossible and it should be because if you knew it's like having kids um if you if you knew what's entailed you wouldn't do it so there's a blessing in it that you don't when do you think you acquired that taste to the extent that you even considered dedicating your life to it well you know i didn't um really make that conscious uh decision. I tried. Um, what I was describing was the way I see it today after, you know, I directed three operas and I, I sort of, because this is the closest I can get to it, you know, um, because I'm not a singer. But I, I just decided, well, because I was I don't know, 19. I said, well, I give that a try. And I, I did the audition for the Viennese um, Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. And, um, and I, I wasn't aware that it's a big deal. I just did it. And I got in. And um, I was a l little surprised, but not overly. And uh, one of the one of the um, jury members afterwards said, "Well, we took you, but just to make sure that you know, you didn't sing that beautifully." <laughs> <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I laughed. I said, "Yeah, well, what difference does it make? Um, I'm in." <laughs> and. Um, and um, I had a wonderful, a wonderful voice teacher, Otto Edelmann, who was, uh, um, in his time, one of the great, uh, you know, Ox von Lerchenau's and um, um, sang that part at the Met, I don't know how many times. And, um, but then, you know, um, acting interfered, so to say. And I got um, roles in movies because that's how I started my professional life as an actor in, in movies in Austria, and um, and so I I dropped my my not having sung too beautifully um, auspices and, and uh, um, went into acting and and I, I you know with my with my past experience in television studios with camera crews and all that i found movies actually the the most fascinating and most interesting medium as such that that um that i then occupied myself with did you feel like a success when you were a working actor which you were i mean you know the, the way i read you describe it somewhere was that you you never had to work at the rental car agency that's right. uh, but did you did you feel like you were a success before you were in American movies before the part of your career that yeah. I and a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of our listeners probably know you from? Well, whether I was a success, I, I don't, I wouldn't phrase it that way. You know, I uh, I was successful. Yeah, you know, not always there were 
years that were difficult. And then there were highlights that were, you know, big successes all within, within the proportion, the given setup. But I, I, I don't know, you know, it, it may have something to do with literally having grown up in this business that I, that I, um, from the beginning, differentiated between having success, being successful, or being a, a success. You know, uh, w- the, the, the former is what, what happens to me, and the latter is me. And I, um, I take great pains in, in not overestimating myself in the context of the whole. We'll finish up with Christoph Waltz in just a bit. He's sung on stage. He's won an Academy Award for acting. He's directed operas. What's his next big career move? The answer comes after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey, it's Ophira Eisenberg. So what happens when the stars from the shows you love, like NBC's Parks and Recreation, Superstore, HBO's Silicon Valley, Insecure, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine face off in trivia games on NPR's Ask Me Another? Find out by tuning in. Listen and subscribe. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hi, I'm Lori Kilmartin. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Who are you, Lori Gilmartin? Oh, my God. So much pressure. Uh, I'm a stand-up. I've been doing stand-up since 1987. Uh, I'm a writer for Conan. I've written a couple books, have a couple CDs out, have a special out. Who are you, Jackie? Well, I, too, am a stand-up comic since 1984. And uh, I do the road like a maniac and uh, don't have a cool writing job, but I have four albums out working on a new album. We talk about stand-up. We talk about uh, all the different parts of stand-up comedy. So that's the Jackie and Lori show, and you should subscribe on Maximum Fun if you want to hear that. (laughs) And I would encourage you not to. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Christoph Waltz. Maybe you know him as Hans Landa from the Quentin Tarantino movie Inglorious Bastards. Maybe you know him as Ernst Blofeld in the new James Bond movies. His latest project is Most Dangerous Game, a new series streaming now on Quibi. When you uh, auditioned for Inglorious Bastards to begin with, did you think that you had a real shot at getting the part? Or did you think it was a cattle call or a pro forma thing? I thought it was a pro forma thing. Look, um, I've, I've, I've experienced that many times prior to that, um, that American companies um, come to Europe especially Germany, because the Germans are very eager to, to get their foot in, in the door, um, um, uh, to tap the, the available money pots um, and um, start a pro forma process that looks like they want to um, shoot there and, and um, take advantage of the, the facilities and, and be there. And, but what they really want is the money, the subsidy money that they would then be entitled to. So they start uh, on the lowest level 
and the lowest level of uh, production is casting. And then, and then they can always claim, look, we've, we tried to get the people, but they, they, they're not right. And they're all Germans. And how dare they be all Germans because we're looking for Americans. And, um, and, um, so, well, we would do it, but, um, okay. But by then, by then the process is already underway and, um, Okay, so I thought it was one of these maneuvers that I have experienced since uh, since I started, and um, they sent me the script, and I I said, well, this is it's a great script, 160 pages. What what do they want me to do in it? And they said, well, read this part. I said, yeah, yeah, but which, uh, I read that part. That's all very nice. But which part would they want me to play? And they said, well, we, we don't know. Because I assumed they just wanted to, to uh, you know, read that part to get something because the part that they were considering me for didn't have, didn't have any lines or something like that. Um, so you got to read something. You may as well read that one. You thought That's, maybe you were up for Nazi number four or something. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. There just wasn't enough material for Nazi yeah, number four yeah. to, to get a good audition in, so they exactly. so they gave you the, the the main bad guy just in case. Yeah, something, yeah, you know, something with lots of words, yeah. So I went anyway. It was It was fun. It was great. I said to Quentin after the first audition, I said, look, whatever, it was it was worth it just for doing it. It was great fun. Um, and then I left. Did, and then, did you get a phone call from from your agent like that that night or something that said like, hey, no. maybe they? Yeah, it took a day or two, and they said, well, you know, I, I was I was on my way to Italy to take a vacation, and uh, they said, well, maybe you don't go right away. They want to see you again, and I said, okay, fine, maybe worth it. I don't know. <laughs> Was there ever a point in that process where it, it dawned on you that actually you were being considered seriously for a lead in, in a Quentin Tarantino movie? Yes. But, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't let that, uh, that idea impress me in any way or manner. Um, I just um, blocked it out. I did not, I did not ever... Um, you know, literally not once did I let that uh, very distant, vague idea enter my, my the forefront of my mind. That's what made it fun. You know, had I had I had I let that influence me, it would have become stress and and uh, pressure and you know wanting it. And of course, I wanted it, but. Um, I've talked to a lot of actors about uh, auditioning and when I was acting, I just couldn't bear auditioning. Yeah. And even, yeah. even now as a person who has, you know, those, the few acting jobs I've ever had in my life were mostly ones where just like somebody I knew wanted me to do it, but you still have to go and audition. And even in that situation, it it's like my worst nightmare. But, I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> but the actors that, I've talked to about auditioning who have uh, the best and most incredible to me attitude about it, say, 
and I think mean it. I mean, they're actors, so they could be faking it. But I think mean when they say, they say something like, well, look, I'm an actor. I became an actor because I like acting. So I go to the audition and I make my choices and I act, which is the thing I like doing. And maybe they're looking for somebody that does it the way I do it. And maybe they're not. And if they are, then I get cast. Great. I get to do more acting. If I didn't get cast, well, I did some acting. That's what I like to do. I'll go do some more at a different audition. <laughs> and like the first time somebody broke that down for me, I was, I was astonished that anyone could, could bring themselves to that point. Uh, because for me, it's just like, you know, I'm just there and I'm like, oh, great. All these people are here to judge me. I can only fail. <laughs> I have to tell you something that may really disappoint you. Uh-huh. These friends, these hyper-professional friends of yours, they're all lying. <laughs> they are lying through their teeth. Um, there's no such thing as, oh, I just go to an audition um, um, doing, exercising my craft and see what comes of it. Come on, really? Uh, no, I, I didn't do that in this case either. I just, I just um, you know, didn't let the notion that I may be considered for more than Nazi number four. I didn't... That, I did not let that enter my mind on purpose. It was an effort that I made. And that's what made it fun, you know, because frankly, Nazi number four would not have interested me very much. Um, but but all of, all of these, you know, retrospective uh, speculations are futile. It was, a, it was a very, very special situation. And that's because um, the man is very, very special and um, has a unique talent in not just writing these incredible situations, but actually creating them on the spot, even in a situation like an audition. So it, it, it really would have been worthwhile doing it um, you know, just to spend time with the guy for an hour or so. And he takes his time, you know. He doesn't say, okay, well, fine. You know, that didn't sound like I wanted it to sound and I, I don't like his aftershave. You know, out, next one. Um, um, no, no, this is serious stuff, you know. This is, this is how it's supposed to be and this is how it rarely, very rarely comes to pass. You speak a few languages. Obviously, I'm speaking to you in English, and your native language growing up in Austria was German. Right. You speak some French. Right. I don't know how strong your French is. I couldn't evaluate it as a non-French yeah. speaker, but yeah. you've worked in multiple, you've worked in all three of those languages yeah. to some extent. Yeah. Uh, do you think you work differently in those different languages? No, not really. Um, to, to tell you the truth, people sometimes actors here in, in, in Germany or Austria say, well, I couldn't do it in a, in a foreign language because the, the connection to the essence uh, of my being and, um, you know, to my subconscious and to my uh, would, be, would be severed or would be not as 
direct and not, not as original or authentic. I find working in a different language liberates me because it frees me of all these uh, burdens of the mother tongue. Um, and as much as you feel at home in your mother tongue, there, there are lots of, um, of uh, heavy uh, weight connotations that, that, you, that you lug around. And, and to, to actually work in a language that where the approach, the linguistic approach needs to be more deliberate. It, I find that liberating. I, 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 I prefer that. I, I, I prefer working in, 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 in English or French to a degree. Um, I haven't done that many things in French four or five movies i don't know but but um i i find it i find to 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 actually put that little distance between the mother tongue immediacy and um as opposed to the mother tongue immediacy put a little a little distance between yourself and um the language you're working in is is helpful to me is your internal monologue exclusively in german no it's in exclusively in gibberish <laughs> like a classic cartoon gibberish like a hibbida hubbida no no that's that's a language that's um no 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 real 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 confused gibberish you know is there something that you wish you had known going into being a movie star that you maybe have gotten to know or learned now that you've, you know, you've had your 10 or 12 years or whatever it is in the, uh, in that part of your life? Mm, no, you know, because, because it's not a, it's not a, um, a finished product. It's, it's still, believe it or not, uh, a living process, and um, uh, it still has ups and downs of of different kinds, and it depends on on um, what you choose to take seriously. Is it you, or is it what you do? And I make a very strict distinction between the two because if if it's me that I take seriously. I get bored very quickly. And if it's what I do that I take seriously, I stay alert. And so I much, much prefer the latter. Do you think there's a chance you'll slip into another profession accidentally? Well, I, I, I started directing and I wanted to do that uh, for a long time, but um, I never... You know, maybe maybe my my respect for proper not for directors, um, please um, mind you, not for directors at all, but for what directing should be. Maybe that sort of um, put a little bit of an obstacle between in my approach there. You know, so I was always a little hesitant. 
to just go and claim and say, no, I, I'll direct that. Thank you very much. You move over and I know what to do. Um, because I've, I've been on the receiving end of bad directors for so many times that I, that I actually have some form of reverence for the ideal of the profession. Um, and I had the immensely good fortune to get jobs as an actor with people who deserve that reverence that sort of took the time and didn't allow me to pursue, um, you know, the, 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 the directing on, on, on my level. Um, I, I, I was so lucky to work with literally the best and, um, that then put you know the bar so high for me that I that I chickened out, but I, I do it anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do it anyway uh, because you know, most of what you do, you do despite uh, despite of whatever it is that wants to keep you from it. Well, Christoph Waltz, I've so enjoyed your work. I'm so grateful that you took the time to be on Bullseye. It was really cool to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for enduring my meandering. Christoph Waltz, from his home in Berlin, Most Dangerous Game, his newest project is streaming now on Quibi, which is short for Quick Bites. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around Los Angeles, California, where my colleague Jesus captured in his house a shiny Pokemon. Now, a shiny Pokemon, my notes indicate, is a lot like a regular Pokemon, but in rare, different colors. This particular Pokemon was yellow, instead of brown. So congratulations to Jesus. Uh, hopefully he won't get a big head and quit his job. We're all on a journey. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our shiny associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien and Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team, thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can keep up with the show there. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.